Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Episode 76 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. 750 bucks. That's not a lot to pay in taxes when you're a billionaire. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are, as a people, not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the Commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. I mean, we always knew he was a tax cheat, right? I mean, it, it, this is not something that is surprising anybody. 750 bucks. I mean, that's a great talking point, right? Because if you are a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you are a delivery driver, if you're a school teacher, a cop, a firefighter, you have paid substantially more in taxes than this guy who has been posing as a billionaire for the past, you know, 50 years. Um, posing, and I have to say posing, and I, I don't understand how financial institutions, when you read this story in the New York Times, I don't understand how financial institutions allowed him to get away with this for so long, but I guess it's debt on top of debt, on top of debt, on top of failure, on top of risk. I mean... This is a guy who, you know, the word they use in uh, the Times is pursued quixotic investments. And that's a dangerous thing if you're just a businessman. But when you're president of the United States and you're going on quixotic adventures, that's even bigger problem. Right. But the biggest problem for me is this guy has four hundred million dollars in debt coming due in the next four years. Who's it to? Who does he owe? How is this good? I mean, it's not good, right? How does anybody on the right, I guess, look, I, I, you know what? Maybe I should just stop. I should just stop asking when the right is going to grow a pair, have some convictions, because it's never going to happen, right? We need to kind of really just remove this Republican Party from power. And hopefully... uh the people who had some sort of principles and a governing philosophy will reconstitute a another party because if they don't, uh, you know, if they don't, we're going to have this vicious cycle forever, right? Quite frankly, if we don't remove them this year, we're going to be under minority rule in this country probably indefinitely because they will continue to find ways to disenfranchise voters 
And the vehicle of that right now is Donald Trump and this crazy bloodlust movement of fiercely loyal base voters. But I don't think it's enough. I look every time. Every time there's another issue exposed, he loses a little bit of that casual Trump voter who said, let me give it a try four years ago. And quite frankly, I think turnout is going to be through the roof this year and it's not going to be good for him or really any Republican around this country. You know, I, I planned on coming on today and just kind of previewing the debate and giving my thoughts about that. And I will. Um, I will do that. But, it, you know, this New York Times story is going to be all we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks because there's going to be more to it. His, you know, the house of cards that is the Trump financial scheme that made Americans think he was a billionaire because he played one on The Apprentice made it made a lot of Americans think that he was good with money. I mean, unless you lived in New York and you've been reading him about him in the tabloids for the last, you know, 40 years, he he's this house of cards is being exposed for what it is. And yeah, I got it. Trump has done a pretty good job with his base of saying that this is all fake news and none of them are going to buy any of this. It doesn't matter. He needs more than that 40% to get elected. He needs to get about 48% with his benefit in the Electoral College, 46%. Joe Biden's polling at 50 to 51%. He's winning in the swing states. This is not going to be good for him. You know, a, you know, a, a line worker at an auto plant in Michigan and Ohio who, who pay their taxes, who probably pay thousands of dollars a year in federal taxes, are not going to be too happy with this guy flying around on a private jet getting $70,000 worth of haircuts, paying $750 a year in property tax. It's not property, in, in income taxes. That's nonsense. And by the way, let me go on the record. I don't think I've paid $70,000 in haircuts in my entire life. I did the math last night. I was nowhere close to it. I think I'm around $25,000. Now, granted, I haven't paid for many haircuts over the last five years since I started doing my hair myself. Okay, I'm bald. I bought a $20 pair of clippers five years ago. I didn't even buy it. My wife gave it to me for Christmas. And I have been doing my hair on my own ever since. I probably should invest in a nicer pair of clippers. uh, And one day I will. But, uh, you know, these work fine. Plain old clippers, wire in it, no big deal. I, I buzz them, then I hop in the shower, and I check to see if I got all of it. And I'm good. Good to go. $70,000. In haircuts. Now, I don't know how many of you listening to this show right now make more than $70,000 a year. The average salary of an American American family, not an individual American, but the average family income in this country is below $70,000. It's in the mid-60s. So this guy is spending more on haircuts for that hair, for that hair, than the average American family makes in a year. He paid more taxes to India, the Philippines, than he did to the United States of America. I guess he thinks all of us who follow the rules and pay taxes are just suckers. We're just chumps. You know, we want to have roads and bridges and airports and other things that the federal government helps support. We want to have the FAA. We want to have FEMA. We want to have the National Weather Service, things that we need in this country. We want to have a post office. I guess we're suckers for paying for that. And this guy's the only smart guy on the planet. You're going to hear a lot of that from his cult followers. And that's all I could call them anymore. If you are still with him at this point, after all that has been exposed of him, you're not a Republican. You are a Trump cultist. And I, you know, I know I'm going to hear from you. Oh, he's smart. Well, are you smart? I mean, are you going to stop paying taxes now? Are you going to figure out a way to write off your haircuts and write off your family retreat? In you know, I mean, are are you going to be able to do that? Is that something you think you can do? Should all Americans be doing that right now? How would we fund our government? We have a banana republic. Oh, you know, our politics is starting to look like a banana republic right now. And I'll talk about some of the threats he's made towards the election. Some of which I take seriously. Some of them I don't. But, you know, we stop having people pay taxes in this country. We're going to have roads like third world countries. We're going to have airports like third world. Our airports already starting to look like third world countries around this country. You want to have clean air, clean water? Good luck. 
I mean, this is where we're going with this guy. It's a lot of nonsense. It's just a lot of nonsense. That is what this guy paid in federal taxes. Tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn, and let me know how much, uh, you know, if you paid more than him. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And by the way, thanks for sharing the show. Keep growing. Every week, you're great. I love you. Keep doing it. Please, please, please. Um, It is amazing to me, though, how quiet the Republicans have been since this broke. Not a lot to say. I mean, you know, the big rollout of Amy Comey Bryant, Amy Coney Bryant, on uh, Saturday. And I've been on Fox a couple times talking about Amy Coney Bryant. And they're like, oh, the the, the liberals are going to attack her Catholicism. Okay, let me state for the record. Okay, first of all, I was born Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Uh, I was baptized. You know, my family became evangelicals along the way. I don't go to church anymore. Although I am going on Sunday to my godson's confirmation. Um, I'm voting for a Catholic. Absolutely voting for a Catholic. Most of my family on my mother's side is Catholic. As you know, my father's side is Jewish. So I love a lot of Catholics. Don't tell me I'm anti-Catholic because I'm against Amy Coney Bryant. I'm not against her because of her Catholicism. In fact, I think she's a bad Christian, if you ask me, because I've read the Bible a couple times, and Jesus is all about helping the poor and helping the sick and helping the needy. I don't know what's Christian about taking away health care from millions of Americans with pre-existing conditions and millions of Americans who can't get affordable health care but for the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. What is Christian about that? You mean to tell me that the only thing Catholics care about is the right to choose, I, I find that hard to believe. I know a lot of Catholics. And like I said, I was born Catholic. I've got a lot of Catholics in my family. My best friend in the entire world is Catholic. I am his son's godson. I will sit in church. I went to St. John's Law School, a Catholic law school, where I was taught about the Constitution from a priest who I still love. I think he's fantastic. Father Coughlin, big shout out. Don't tell me that Christianity is all about choice. Uh Uh-uh. Reasonable people can disagree when life begins. And I am not trying to put my morals on anyone else. And I don't want anybody else's morals placed on me. But what about what Christ said about doing unto the least of them as you would do unto them, Amy Coney Bryant? Republicans. Evangelical Christians still supporting this nonsense for that one stupid issue that they got you all worked up about? I got a great idea. Bill Clinton said it best. Let's make it safe, legal, and rare. Let's work to give people choices that are not just getting rid of their child because they can't afford to live in this world. Let's educate people on birth control. You think Amy Coney Bryant's going to be cool with that? I mean, this is where we're going as a country. The Republicans are looking for some excuse as to why Democrats are calling out the hypocrisy of the Republicans who just four years ago said that you can't, you know, people have already started voting. We can't have we can't have a nomination of a Supreme Court judge. And that's when people were voting in a primary back in February. It's September. It's really October, right? I mean, it's it's October this week. You might by the way, you might be listening to this on Thursday and it is October. Or Wednesday even, right? <laughs> what am I talking about? Uh, no, Thursday. Um, so, I mean, it is a, it's an amazing thing to me. Amazing thing to me. This hypocrisy. And their message that Democrats are somehow anti-Catholic because they're opposing this woman. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court's got, it's got a bunch of Catholics on it, okay? <laughs> there's, not, there's not an anti-Catholic bias on the Supreme Court. Including a Democrat, by the way, one of, excuse me, one of the liberal judges is a Catholic. So it, it's a it's the, you know and, and and Joe Biden's Catholic, a practicing Catholic. Donald Trump pretends to be whatever he is. He doesn't go to church. Probably hasn't been to church in ever. Probably doesn't. We've looked at his taxes now. Uh, I haven't seen his full tax return, but I don't hear a lot of talk about how he's tithed for all those evangelical Christians out there who think he's a godly man. And I don't think they think he's a godly man. I think they made a deal with the devil. And that's what they're doing 
it's still a deal with the devil. I mean, I don't know how they sleep at night. I really don't. I really, really don't. And I know a lot of them, care about a lot of them, know them personally. But evangelicals that are backing Trump are looking looking the other way on a lot of things, including the destruction of our republic potentially by all of these outlandish claims he's making about voting that have no basis in fact. Now, look, we're going to need lots of lawyers on the ready because this guy's going to sue. Look, he sued his entire career. I mean, his whole his whole career has been about lawsuits. He sued Bill Maher for five million dollars over a joke he told. And by the way, coming up in a minute, one of Bill Maher's writers, Amy Holmes, who's been on this show before. She's also a former aide to Bill Frist will be joining me. Great interview with Amy. Uh, You know, Amy and I go way back. Uh, But she's now a writer for Real Time with Bill Maher, and she'll be on the show in a few minutes. So stick around for that interview. But uh, this is a very litigious guy, and he's going to try to win this election in the courts. He's going to try to stall the counting so that it goes to Congress, where the Republicans have an edge, because we don't vote by the majority of the House of Representatives. We vote state by state. It's not going to get to that. I'm sorry. Uh, I know that we're going to have these conversations every day, and everybody wants to freak out about this is going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I particularly don't think that he's going to get state legislatures to uh, overturn the popular vote of their uh, of their of their state, because quite frankly, if you're going to overturn the presidential election, you pretty much have to overturn all the elections in that state, including your own. How do you just overturn one? And you'd have to actually change state law, which, you know, most of these states, most of these swing states anyway, have Republican legislatures and Democratic governors at this point. The only reason they have Republican legislatures is because of gerrymandering. And there's going to be a tidal wave this year, I believe. I I truly, truly, truly believe that there will be a tidal wave this year that will wipe out a lot of Republican majorities in state legislatures. Not all of them, because they are completely gerrymandered. But there's a lot of energy to get rid of Trump, and there's a lot of energy to get rid of people who have been enabling this guy for the past four years. Now, Tuesday night's going to tell the tale for a lot of people. And I think what I'm going to do, rather than get into this now, I am going to take a quick break. I'm going to play my interview with Amy. And then on the other side of that interview, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think is going to happen on Tuesday night and thereafter. Because I think that Tuesday night is, I think it's the most important event of the campaign that's left. And uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, hopefully you're listening. I mean, really Tuesday night, tonight, right? I record this late on Monday night and uh, you listen to it on Tuesday. So I think that tonight's debate or yesterday's debate, if you listen to this on Wednesday, is pivotal, pivotal. And even if you are listening to this after the debate, my analysis is mostly going to concern what happens after the debate. So stick around, listen to Amy Holmes, and I'll be right back to talk to you about that. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Joining me now, good friend of the show, person who has risen to new heights, Amy Holmes is a former aide to the Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist back in the day when I worked in the U.S. Senate, and she is a columnist and now a writer for one of my favorite shows, Real Time with Bill Maher. Amy Holmes, how you doing? Chris Hahn, it's a pleasure to be with you. I hope you're not upset that as a conservative that I have been able to slip into the (laughs) writing team for your favorite liberal talk show host. He is literally one of my favorite... Uh, comedians of all time. I have them right up there with uh, Chris Rock, D. 
Dave Chappelle, Jerry uh, Seinfeld. He's literally right there. I love I love Bill Maher. I've been watching him since he was on ABC television uh, back in the day, and I love the show on HBO. Uh, and I'm really proud of you. I mean, Thank you're you, you know, you and I have known each other a long time, and ages. ages now. I mean, God, we were kids when we started this business. Uh, we've known each other a long time, and I, I, you know, I find you one of the smartest people on the right. I sometimes have a hard time controlling you in these interviews because you, you know, you want to go a certain oh, way, and I have a hard God. time. Oh come on, in the world. <laughs> In the world, yeah, in the in world, the world, you are, you are, you are, you are, you stick to your guns. You, you know, you're, you're, you're fantastic, and you're always willing to come on, which, uh, which is also a good thing for me. And I, I truly enjoy our conversations. So I'm really proud of you, and I know that our listeners are really proud of you. And I'm going to be, and I'm looking like I'm, I'm when I'm watching the show now. I'm like, is that an Amy question? Is that an Amy line? <laughs> I bet you that's Amy. <laughs> so. I bet you would never guess which uh, one of the new rules he's done in the last uh, month. I bet mine. you it's something really liberal because I have a feeling, knowing you the way I know you, that you can turn it on on its head. You know, one of the things I am a student of comedy. You know that I'm an improviser. Uh-huh. And one of the things you try to do is do an A to C jump. I'm sure you you know all this stuff now. Um, mm-hmm. And I could see you turning an issue on its head and finding something absurd, and it sounds kind of liberal. I I, I bet you that's what I bet you that's what they're getting out of you right now. <laughs> well, actually, they're getting a lot of dirty jokes out of me right Ooh. now. This might surprise your listeners. Um, so uh, it wouldn't surprise them that Bill does dirty Bill does dirty jokes, but that I do. And uh, one of my new rules that did make it onto air, which I was very proud of, I even called my parents to, uh, you know, to tell them, was actually a joke about STDs. <laughs> <laughs> Should I tell you the joke? Tell me the joke. Okay, so it's based on a real news story, which a lot of the new rules are. Like, this crazy thing just happened, and then, you know, you try to come up with a, you know, a funny line that will surprise the, the audience. So I came across this totally nutty, crazy story of a local news station had asked their viewers to post on their Facebook page their own personal stories about having to wear these COVID masks and how they've been inconvenient or how they've affected their lives, that kind of thing. Like, right. go on our Facebook page and tell your story. So anyway, uh, one of the viewers, she went on the Facebook page and she said, oh, these COVID masks, they're so dangerous. My husband, now, Chris, this is a true story. Right. She wrote that her husband had gone on a business trip <laughs> and when he came home, uh, the, the, the COVID mask had given him chlamydia. <laughs> I remember this joke. Do you remember? That, yeah. And so, and so on the Facebook page, all these people wrote in and said, oh, honey, do you, do you really think that a, a face mask can give a person chlamydia? <laughs> How that's transmitted. So, the, so my joke was that, you know, her husband came home and told her he, you know, contracted uh, chlamydia from the face mask. And then she told him that was such a weird coincidence because while he he was gone on that same business trip, she caught herpes from her underwear. <laughs> funny. Awesome. You know, it's funny. I don't I, I that doesn't surprise me that you'd write a joke like that, because we first met years ago uh, on the set of Hannity. I don't know if you remember this, but I told a joke on the set. Where I said, we were talking about uh, the Sisters of the Poor lawsuit about birth control and Obamacare. And I, uh-huh. I had this joke that I had been telling. And I, and I said it right on the air to Sean. I go, Sean, don't you think in these tough economic times, people should have a recreational activity that they can afford? And I was talking, obviously, about sex and birth control being free. And I go, come on, don't we want to have? <laughs> we want people to be able to do something when they have no money, right? And and Sean tried to move off of it. And you're like, no, wait a minute, Sean. Let's discuss what Christopher just said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's examine this issue. A you, bit more that's closely. exactly what you said. You said, let's examine that a little more closely. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> it was it was it was kind of funny. Yeah, Chris- what is it you're exactly referring to here? Like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm losing a beat. I was saying that when I was poor, one of the only things that I could do that was fun. <laughs> well, it can get real expensive real fast. Oh, yeah. Well, tell me about it. I got two kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of them in college. So it's, it's a, it's a yes, it gets expensive. 
gets very expensive very quickly, and uh, and and we do that. So, Amy, I'm really proud of you. I know America's proud of you, and I know you're going to do great Thank on that you. show. And I'm really happy that they would bring you in. And and you know, I know that you're one of his favorites. Bill's had you on for years, and you always yeah. do. You always do great on that show. Uh, just Thank like you. just like you do here, you're always a fantastic guest. You're you're always open to talk about things. So let's start. I only have a few minutes left in this segment, but I'm keeping you for three segments. Um, uh, the let's talk about the president. You know, just the other day comes out and basically refuses to acknowledge that there will be a peaceful transition of power should he lose the presidency. Um, Mm -hmm. I I mean, is that a line now? Is that a line? Did he cross a line for you? Because it's you know, I mean, he's crossed many lines for me. This is not not the first line. Uh, But does that cross a line for you as a conservative, you know, who I know believes in our Constitution? Sure, of course. And we all believe in a peaceful transition of power. And, uh, you know, that's the basis of our democracy. Without that, we don't have it. You know, because I just, I hear that it's just a lot of trash talk and, you know, talk and smack and uh, that Trump is trying to gin up his base, get him, you know, hot under the collar right. and get him mad and getting, you know, trying to turn them out because we know that is the president's 2020 electoral strategy is a turnout strategy. I think his 2020 electoral strategy is a legal strategy. I think that he that he well, thinks he can win this in court. Doing that. I think both sides will be indulging in that. But I look at those comments as, you know, like a lot of Trump comments, which is deliberately provocative, uh, deliberately incendiary, that his target audience are his supporters and wanting to get them fired up. Now, one of my colleagues um, on the show, on Real Time, he brought up the point today that he thinks it's designed to uh, depress yep. the other side. I agree 100% with that. I, I was just going to come back with that. Right, which is not, um, you know, that, that's not uh, contradictory. It, it could be both. It can be firing up your base and demoralizing your opponent. Right, right, right. So I I think that that's but it's, it's a lot the kind of it's, it's the kind of rhetoric a president shouldn't engage in. Shouldn't conservatives around this country be calling him out for that? Well, and they have. I, I don't know if you saw Senator Grassley today. He said it doesn't matter what he said. In our, on, in our Constitution, we will be seating a you know a new president. Uh, either he's he's reelected or Joe Biden is, but there is going to be an inauguration. Or he holds everything up in court and they can't seat electors and the new president is Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, I, there, I, there is I, a there is a path to that if he keeps going down this path, you know, if he right, but I, but again I it's to me this seems like a kind of one one sided selective outrage. We know that in twenty uh, in two thousand oh my gosh, I was on MSNBC like night after night after night with the recounts and the yep. jazz and the hanging yep. jazz and you know Al Gore suing in that case going all the way to the Supreme Court. Yep. The Supreme Court ruling that no Al Gore, you don't get to cherry pick which county right. in Florida need to be recounted. Amy, we were talking about the president maybe tootsieing around with the idea of not leaving after election. Now, I, I don't think that that's possible. I think that he's going to leave. I think that I, I think that that's a line that most people won't cross, even people who've crossed every other line with him. And I think you agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, and remember, it's not that he has to leave on November 4th. It's that he has to leave on, you know, the day of the inauguration in January. And uh, but I agree with you between that day, between November 3rd and inauguration, we could see just some really uh, depressing, dispiriting, demoralizing lawsuits, lawsuits going back and forth, both parties. We know the Biden team has their lawyers. All oh, the they're getting ready to respond to the president's lawsuits. I mean, the president's yeah, lost. The president is saying that the, right. the election's invalid now, right? And the election hasn't even happened. Only, and the only winners out of all these lawsuits, other than, I guess, who prevails, is are the lawyers. And the lawyers love it. They love to get their fingers in and that they're a part of a high-profile you know, lawsuit that's one of the most I, uh, consequential of their lifetimes, et cetera. I think My that... Tell, Chris, is that election night... The results are so overwhelming one way or the other yep. that it's done. Well, I mean, and, and that's what will happen. Look, that's counting. That's what happens if there is a good debate performance on Tuesday by Joe Biden. I'll be honest with you. I think that this election comes down to Tuesday. If Joe Biden. He needs to show that he has the stamina. Yep. 
he can uh, follow a train of thought, which is, as we know, that's dicey. That's been real hit or miss with him. Yeah. And that his and that his eyes, you know, eyeballs don't uh, burst. I think he's gonna. Burst. I think he's gonna have a couple of moments where he puts Trump in his place. Yeah. And I think he's going to, and, and look, let's also, you and I have been in politics a long time, right? Before we, be, before we were the media superstars we are now, <laughs> we were aides and we worked on campaigns and we did all that good stuff. Politics is about managing expectations. And President yeah. Trump has lowered expectations so much for Joe Biden that if he shows up and doesn't eat the microphone, he won the debate. Don't you think? Well, you, but Chris, I don't know if you noticed this. Trump is trying to reverse that. Strategy. You can't, though. You can't do that. In, you can't do that in two weeks. You, Biden's going to be great. Biden's going to be great. And I think it's because he realized. Yes. Because uh, he hired Bill Stepien, who's a real campaign person, who said, what are you doing? You're lowering expectations for your opponent. And even as he's talking out of one, oh, Biden's going to be great. Then he sends out a tweet about Sleepy Joe and all this other stuff. It's right. he, he's not he's completely undisciplined. His, I was going to say, Chris, are you actually um, asking me whether or not Donald Trump has um, message discipline? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I am not. And I know as somebody who worked for somebody who had message discipline, who had to help get other senators elected across this country, you know how and, important uh, even defeated helped uh, defeat Tom Daschle, the minority leader at the time. I mean, you know how hard that is. You know how hard it is to, to keep these people on message and keep people focused. And when, when you're the president of the United States and you're losing, I mean, look, I mean, you, Fox News polls that just came out has them down five in Ohio. And that's not the first poll I've seen in the last two days that has them down in Ohio, but that's the one that has them down the most in Ohio. Um, yeah. You know, the guy's losing this election. And if Joe Biden puts a strong debate performance in on Tuesday night, a lot of these undecided voters who I think have already made up their mind about the president, how could they not? I mean, he's omnipresent. You know who he is. You know what he's about. You just might not be sure about Joe Biden, probably because of what the president has said about him. I think if Joe Biden shows up, puts in a strong debate performance, doesn't even have to be, you know, I'm not talking like John F. Kennedy strong. I'm talking like, you know, <laughs> You're not talking Ronald Reagan. No, he doesn't need to be Ronald Reagan in the in the third debate with Mondale, right? The first debate, right. he could be he could be Ronald Reagan in the first debate with Mondale, which was pretty bad, by the way. And I think he still walks away being pretty good. I think that the the debate is uh, decisive for Biden, and that he does indeed need to reassure uh, undecided voters and even you know uh, people who. Uh, like young African American voters, yep. who uh, uh, you know, there's a, there's concern that they will not turn out. They didn't turn out for Hillary at the numbers they did for Obama for some obvious reasons. Uh, but he needs to reassure those voters that he is sharp, energized, active, aware, knows where he is, knows what he's saying. Yep. Doesn't get you know, doesn't go down these crazy rabbit holes that he yep. does. That he doesn't mention corn pops. Or, you know, if you don't, you know, if you don't know if you're voting for me, you ain't black. I think he's got to be like he was against Paul Ryan four years ago or six years, eight years ago now. He, he isn't the same man as he was. No, I know. But if he has a debate that's similar to that, I think he's going to do fine. And I think that, you know, three or four days later, we'll get a national poll that has him up 14 right. points. And I because I, I, I just think that these undecided voters haven't made up their mind about him. I, I think they've made up their mind. Look, when you're the incumbent, I don't need to tell you this. You've been around long enough. When you're the incumbent, people know who you are. When you're well under 50% as an incumbent, it's a danger sign. And and while the national 50% might not matter that much, even in states where he's winning, he's below 50%. I think it could be a runaway race if there's a good if he was if he's as good at the debate as he was with his convention speech, it's over. Well, but here's the you know, the crucial difference is he's not going to have a teleprompter. No, I hear you. Well, that's the thing. And that's Amy. That's why it matters. Even when he has note cards in front of him, he's pushing them around and trying to figure out like, like it's a little puzzle. And these are the note cards that have been given to him by his own campaign staff. Uh, again, expectations, Amy. Managing expectations. Which is why Trump is and, now saying Biden is yeah. great. And Biden has been also managing his own expectations. By showing up with no cards, by not taking a lot of questions, making people doubt it, then he comes he's out. Playing rope -a I do. I do. I think he's playing. I think he's playing rope a dope. I think he's playing rope a dope. And I think that when he gets out there and he knocks Trump down, it's gonna yeah. be. It's gonna be down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. You know, <laughs> if he's doing that, then he is far more. 
uh, clever, devious. Jo- and the guy uh, got elected to the U.S. Senate you. when he was 29 years old. Yeah, but <laughs> Come. reflect back to Biden's debate performances in the primary. They weren't great. They weren't yeah. great because he wasn't prepared. He was. He didn't take his opponents seriously. You remember, you remember that, like the other candidates would look at him and look at each other and like i know just say what he's saying. yeah but it's 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 gonna be it's gonna it's a different he's like oh do you know what you just said six minutes ago <laughs> he's got a different person in front of him and they're hyper focused on this all right i, I gotta wind down here because i gotta take another break this segment i might take keep you for four i might have to keep you for four segments because we're not getting any anything we wanted to talk about yet because you know this is this is how friends talk right Pe- pressure People are listening in to our little conversation, and and there we are. So I'm going to take another. Well, I qu- hope it's I hope it's uh, entertaining for you guys, listeners. Well, they they're definitely entertained. They're, Amy and I, we were just talking about Joe Biden uh, and the debate, which I which I think we both agree will be uh, conclusive, uh, decisive uh, in in determining. I think I don't it's know, a decisive. Conclusive that it will be decisive. By the way, I think I think it's going to be so decisive that. Trump probably will show up for the town hall debate, and he's not good with regular people. We know this. And then that's it. I don't think he shows up to the Kristen Welker debate. That's just my opinion. My oh, opinion. my goodness. I don't think he's going to show this up. Like when, this is like when Republicans are saying that Biden is going to try is going to try to get out of it, and which actually had more support, that kind of conspiracy anyway, because we had Joe Lockhart, Nancy Pelosi, and, and others advising Biden to back out of it. I think Biden was smart. I, I, uh, I think his campaign knows that he does have to show up, and that if he didn't, that would be basically. I will bet you a large cup effort. of coffee, a large cup of coffee, <laughs> not a not a not a medium, a large, a large. of your choice. A okay, could be a latte, could be a frappuccino, whatever you no want. Coffee. I'll bet you a large cup of coffee that no, that Trump Joe that Joe Biden shows up to all three and Donald Trump does not show up to the third and final debate. I I the third I'm, and final that's way too way too far. I mean it could be that something crazy happens in the world so there isn't a third and final debate. But No, no, no. Uh, no, if something crazy if something crazy in the world happens that requires the president to be in the war room during the third debate, I will, I, I will, we will pay for our own coffee that day. Kind of like an airline ticket, if there's a you yeah, know. yeah, you'll get a pass on that. The force majeure will nullify this debate, <laughs> but but barring that, I still believe, and 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 not if it's a force majeure caused by Donald Trump. Okay, well we'll have to debate that. We'll have to go to court. We'll figure it out. But but I I do not believe he's going to show up to all three. And look. Uh, you know, I'm here on Long Island. I uh, Hofstra University has hosted three consecutive presidential debates. Um, and, you know, I have good friends over there and I talk to them. I said, hey, how come you guys didn't bid this year? They're like, we think he's not going to show up. And that was before Joe Biden was even the nominee. This is we're going back two years ago when they were picking the sites. Why? They didn't think, I mean, and I quite frankly believe that too. I don't think he's going to show up to the third debate. I think because he's going to get his butt kicked and he's going to be losing so bad. He might as well just go to Mar-a-Lago and sulk. Oh, I think you're missing that Donald Trump is so competitive and that he would want, like, let me take another crack at him. I, I he's competitive like everybody who's had a rich dad. He's competitive like everybody who's had a rich daddy. He thinks he's winning, thinks he's winning, thinks he's winning all the time. And then when it's shoved in his face that he's lost, he just pouts. What is that phrase that somebody thinks that they've hit a triple and they were born on? Yeah, yeah. Here's a guy who was born rounding third and thinks he hit a triple. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't know about all of that. But do remember, Chris, that, you know, some months ago there was a rumor that Trump wouldn't even run at all. That he would drop out because he would look at his polls and he would, you know, uh, he would be so depressed and so demoralized. Yep. And if he wasn't going to win, then he was going to drop out. I remember people saying that a few months ago, and I'm like, that, that's just not Trump. He's no, so competitive. Well, the polls He's never got so that bad. I mean, even even now, you know, Biden's got a pretty strong lead right now, but the polls aren't. He's not out of it, out of it yet. What'd you say? No, uh, there were news reports and. I, I said it. This is noise. A- Amy, I said it. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the people. Who's, I've said it myself. I probably said it to you. I, I mean. No. <laughs> no, he didn't drop. I never thought he was going to drop out. Never. Well, look, I am a pundit and I do need to make bold predictions. 
And when I make those bold <laughs> predictions, if they come true, I'm a genius. If they don't come true, people generally forget. You know, yeah, I'm sure you'll remember. call me up and say, where's my pumpkin spice latte? <laughs> but <laughs> nobody who's listening to this show three weeks from now, if Donald Trump shows up to the third debate, is going to call me up and say, didn't you say Trump wasn't going to run? <laughs> so, Listeners, are you hearing Chris? He's challenging you right now. I'm sure so, if we go back through the tapes of Amy Holmes' multi-year career on various cable news shows, we would find many predictions that did not come true. Oh, uh, well, there was one big one. Oh, me too. I Hillary Clinton was uh, going to win the 2008 Democratic nomination. Ooh. Ooh. I, I thought the Clinton machine was, you know, going to mow everyone down, clear the field, and that it was going to be a straight shot for her. Not this, you know, junior senator from uh, Illinois who's right. been in the Senate for a year and a half with the funny, you know, first and last name. Uh, December b- uh, before the primary started, in you know, in earnest, with the voting anyway. I, I, I think I said Hillary has this in the bag. Wow. That was. Wow. I remember it. And I am so honest, Christopher Hahn, that I'm admitting it on your show. Well, you weren't alone in that prediction. I mean, there were lots of people making that prediction. Uh, Hillary thought so, too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, she did. That. She definitely thought so. And, um, you know, I mean, but for John Edwards in Iowa, she might have won. I mean, it's right. just, you know, I mean, that well, Iowa win for Obama put him on the map. Yep. And then you saw that the Clinton team, they were much more aggressive in 2016 of clearing out any competitors. I mean, I don't even remember who was in the Democratic primary uh, other than, you know, Bernie Sanders, who came out of nowhere. There was like some uh, governor that we thought was OK, right? I can't remember yeah, his name. I don't remember. The guy from, uh, I think he was from Maryland, actually. Right. And the Clinton team, I think at that point, as did we all, they just thought, oh, Bernie Sanders, like, you know, what's the big deal? He's not he's not a big threat. And then all of a sudden, you know, as the, here we are, and he's one of the power brokers of the Democratic Party now. Right. And he's not even a Democrat. Well, I mean, look, he seized the left wing and then Joe Biden came out and beat him, which was different. You know, Joe Biden beat him decisively. Right. I mean, it was no there was no hanging around. There was no, you know, it was over. No, it wasn't like 2008. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he decided, South Carolina and then Super Tuesday was much better than, he. you know, Joe, Joe Biden was supposed to be down a couple of hundred delegates on Super Tuesday and he was up a couple hundred delegates on Super Tuesday and that was it. It was over. And it, yeah. and it was rightfully over, especially given the environment that we're in right now. And uh, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be an interesting look. I think this debate uh, is going to be rowdy. Uh, I think Chris Wallace is a good person to have uh, host a debate. Oh, I quite. think there's going to be a lot of jousting, and we know that Chris Wallace uh, uh, loves to actually grill Republicans on his Sunday show. And, you know, he uses sort of the Tim Russert approach. Well, you said this, sir, yep. madam. Yep. You said this. How does, you know, now, you see, now you're flip-flopping, or this seems to be a direct contradiction. And both Trump and Biden, because they're politicians, and maybe and in Trump's case, you know, because he t- talks and tweets so much, both of them are going to be vulnerable on that front. Yeah. But something that, you know, I just had this conversation last night on a Zoom panel for the Paley Media Center, that something where I think a lot of us as pundits, observers, you know, that we do this for a living, that we often miss is we're so busy you know, uh, tallying the score while we're watching the debate. Like, oh, that was a good one. Oh, yep, he yep. landed a punch there. Or, you know, he flubbed, he flubbed the statistic, like when Joe Biden said 200 million people have died yep. of coronavirus. It's obviously not true. What I think that we often miss as, you know, professional political watchers is that the audience isn't necessarily keeping score. Yeah. That. They're, they don't the have, people aren't uh, keeping score like we are. All right. And I'm back with Amy Holmes, who is a writer on Real Time with Bill Maher, one of my favorite, one of the few shows I watch at the time it's on, Real Time with Bill Maher. I watch it every Friday night at 10 o'clock, if I'm home, which I've been for the last- viewing. Yeah, well, I've been home for the last seven months, so you know, I, I am home to watch it, so I really do enjoy it. And, and you could follow Amy on Twitter. She's Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. I got that right this time, right? At Real Amy M. Holmes. At real, real Amy M. Holmes. You know, maybe they would yeah. do you a favor now that you're a big time Hollywood writer and they'd give you a check mark. I don't know what's wrong with that. You know what? I don't think I even want one at this point. I mean, I don't care if I have one or not. You have more followers than I do. I have like 18,000 followers. I think you have like 25,000 followers and you don't have a check wow, mark. Wow, you're paying close attention. Uh, I think the check marks 
I, I think I philosophically disagree with them. I don't think that uh, anybody on Twitter should kind of be like more have higher status than somebody. Well, but then you don't have to put I'm the real Amy M. Holmes. You could just be Amy Holmes. Check mark. They know who you are. I mean, that's the whole point. You know how many Chris the president has real Donald J. Trump and everybody knows who he is. Do you know how many do you know how many Chris Hans there are on Twitter? I mean, some of them send me the hate mail they get from Fox viewers. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's multiple Chris Hans on Twitter. You, sh- you should have a Chris Han um, reunion. I, I should. It's a very, very Han to like a German is like Smith in the United States. It's a very oh, okay. common German last name. So Got it. It, Got is, it. it is what it is. All right. With the few minutes I have left with you, I really want to talk mm-hmm. about this Supreme Court appointment. That Donald Trump is going to, you know, Republicans would say, ram it down our throats. He's going to ram it down our throats with the help of with aided and abetted by Mitch McConnell, who Mm -hmm. four years ago with 10 months left on the clock said, no, not during an election year. Now, I would be happier if he would have said 10 months ago, I'm the majority leader of the Senate and I'm not going to let you do this and had no no other rationale for it. But he gave us a rationale which we now call the McConnell rule. He was calling it the Biden rule. Okay, it's the, it's the McConnell rule, which he followed 10, you know, 10 months and before. The- all of these rules are totally made up. Yeah, of There's course. no constitutional rule. There's no legal rule. This is just when senators spot, spout off a position and then uh, will, you know, likely flip-flop as Biden did on the Biden rule. So, but Biden, know, the, the Biden rule is not anything that actually. It, 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 who cares? But it doesn't. It, hold on a minute, Amy. The Biden rule doesn't actually exist. It never actually exists. He took That's something. He took something out of context that Biden said, like he is wanting to do. This is the, Mitch McConnell is doing this because he I can. Think way too much into the weeds here, Chris. What is really at stake in terms of this Supreme Court nomination? What I'm concerned about is how it will inflame an already such a contentious election on top of COVID, BLM. Like when I saw that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away, my heart sank. Oh, me too. I I literally screamed out loud. Tsunami? What are we getting? You know, what's happening? Right. Are these the end days? Are the four horsemen, you know? It's crazy. uh, What I keep asking myself, Amy, what is the next shoot to drop? I mean, it's this right. has just been a crazy year. Crazy, it's crazy, and you know, it's the mail-in ballots mess. It's just, it feels like this whole year has been crazy and messy and awful. Which is why I say, I hope that election night there is a clear winner. That even if Wisconsin keeps counting those mail-in ballots three or four days later, it's not going to make a difference, and everybody knows that. Right. With the Supreme Court uh, nomination and, and confirmation, I'm hoping that. Well, it's not going to happen. I think what could have been a compromise is Donald Trump names a nominee and uh, Mitch McConnell says we will go through the process. It may not happen before November 3rd. It may not, you know, it may not even happen before inauguration, at which point that nominee would obviously be withdrawn and somebody else would be appointed if Joe Biden were to win. But I, I, you know, I... I'm, I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Republican. I'm a right winger, but I'm not a party person. What concerns me, even you know, another concern for me on this is what if the election does go to the Supreme Court like it did in 2000 when Al Gore could not concede defeat in Florida, which uh, he eventually had to. And by the way, recounts of Florida since have found that George Bush yep, did, yep. did indeed win Florida. Uh, but Al Gore, too much was on the line. He had to sue, 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 which he did, went up to the Supreme Court. What if we have another, you know, similar situation? And now the Supreme Court has this nominee that was confirmed under these conditions. It's horrible. Will, will it's, the public be n- accept the, the, the Supreme Court's judgment if it rules if, in favor it, of Donald Trump? If the Supreme Court rules to stop counting ballots because Donald Trump says they're fraudulent, you will see the state of New York and the state of California and the state of Illinois and probably Connecticut and New Jersey and Massachusetts secede from the union. I, I, I'm not even joking. There will be a new secession movement in this country. Well, no. And, 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 and the rich, it'll be the rich states that leave, by the way. And, and then this country can figure out how to pay for other things without us. Because I, I can't see us living under minority rule anymore in this country. 
it's a it's a a real problem for America. And that's now I don't think that the Supreme Court would do that. I don't even think the judges that are on there now. I don't think he would get four votes right now for that from the Supreme Court, even this Supreme yeah. Court. So I don't know if he's going to point the state law and what's been going on. So like in 2000, Al Gore, if you remember, what he wanted was totally manipulative. He wanted only certain counties where he hoped to pick up votes to be recounted. And the Supreme Court said, no, you don't get to cherry pick which counties in the state you want to recount. It's either all or nothing. And they said, and at this point, it's nothing because it's too late. Well, that's what happened. They stopped wanting the Supreme Court to. Well, yeah, but, but you know, the difference between now and then is people trusted the Supreme Court. And they didn't they didn't after that point. But at, up until that point, they did. And they made a ruling and then people started, you know, having their doubts about the Supreme Court. So it was very political after that ruling. But people were very calm about the fact that it was going through the courts because they trusted the courts at the time. And right now, people don't trust the courts because they've been overly politicized by Mitch McConnell, frankly. It's not even Donald Trump's fault. It's by Mitch McConnell. And it's a, you know, people might blame Trump because they don't know any better. But Mitch McConnell is the architect of the downfall of the American judicial system. And as an attorney, oh my goodness! look, when I worked in federal district court, when I worked in federal district court, I worked for a conservative judge who was appointed by Richard Nixon, Judge Platt. A great guy who I did not agree with, but he was a fair and honest juror. And it was, it was, you know, it's. I cannot. You worked for Harry Reid, so I cannot. No, no, I worked for I worked for Chuck Schumer, wrong leader, wrong Democratic leader. (laughs) Wrong, but you. I mean, this is just fact. Harry Reid changed the rules so that federal judges could be nominated and confirmed with only 51. Because Mitch McConnell blocked every single judge Obama was putting up there. That and every single judge. There you, look, Amy, when you and I worked in the Senate, when you and I worked in the Senate, there was a deal, right? Nope. If there, yeah, there was a deal. I worked there when Miguel Estrada was being a filibuster but, and that Chuck Schumer was filibustering George Bush nominee. But Amy, there was a deal on, there was a deal on circuit. Whether or not to do the nuclear option. But there was a deal. And he eventually did not do it. But Amy, you were... But you were considering what Harry Reid did and pulled back and did not. Okay, but you remember the deal when I would... When you and I both worked in the Senate, the deal was the senators from those states, whether they were in power or not, got a certain amount of the judges. They got to appoint them, right? The majority party, if it was the president of the United States, his party got most of them. So it was like four to one. For every four judges George W. Bush would put up, Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton would get one. And that made the thing, the system work. That deal went out the window with Mitch McConnell because he didn't want to do it. All right. I got 10 seconds left with you. I got I to gotta wrap up the show. I love you to death. You know that. I'm really proud of you. Amy, she's at Real Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. Watch Real Time, Friday nights, 10 p.m., HBO. Amy Holmes, I love you to death. Thanks for joining me. Have a great night, everybody. All right, that's Amy. I'll be right back to talk about the debate and thereafter and the wrap-up show. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You got to love Amy Holmes, right? I mean, even though uh, we disagree politically on a lot of things, no Trump fan. Definitely off that wagon for sure. So let's talk about this debate. Amy and I talked about it. You heard it in that interview. But let me let me just say, I think it's a, a decisive moment for a particular reason. I think that of the 9% or so that are still undecided, I think that they have made up their mind about Donald Trump. You may have heard me say this before. They may have bought into 
some of that right-wing rhetoric that Joe Biden is mentally incapable of holding this job. And they're going to tune in. A lot of them are going to tune in on Tuesday, on tonight, or yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, or a couple days ago. They're going to tune in. And they are going to make a judgment for themselves because they're undecided for a reason. I mean, if they really thought that Joe Biden was mentally incompetent and couldn't handle this job, they'd be for Donald Trump or they'd be showing up for a third party or they wouldn't be a likely voter. They have doubts to that message, as they should, because it's a lying message. They're going to watch this debate and they're going to make up their mind for themselves. But let, let me let me divert from that for a minute. I, I don't know how many of you saw Donald Trump's tweet on Sunday requesting that Joe Biden take a drug test before this debate, because here's here's what happened with that. So Donald Trump has been lying about Joe Biden for about eight to 10 months now, and he now believes the lies he's been telling about Joe Biden. So when he actually watches tape of Joe Biden behaving like a normal human being, not looking like he has Alzheimer's or some sort of mental indeficiency because Donald Trump believes his own bullshit. He is absolutely going to call that something that is uh, that he's on performance enhancing drugs and he's going to request a drug test strong. I'm going to strongly I'm going to strongly request a drug test. Just let you know, these guys create new rules all the time, but it's nonsense. No drug test required. Uh, you know, I, I don't I, I don't think Joe Biden's taking anything to make him more spry. I think Joe Biden's just got his head in the game and he is going to crush you. I, I just I don't think Joe Biden has to do much in this debate. I think Donald Trump has done a lot of the work for Joe Biden. He has lowered the bar. People do not expect a lot from Joe Biden. They think he is, you know, not all there, lost a step. When he goes out there and he is equal or better to Donald Trump, even if he's a little behind him, as long as he doesn't look like, you know, (laughs) I mean, as long as he doesn't look like he's falling apart, which he won't, it's over. It's game over because that 9% is going to make up their mind. They are going to make up their mind and they will break three or more, three or more to one. I I don't know if it's going to be three to one or four to one. It's going to, they're going to break towards Biden. They want to break towards Biden. They want to vote for Biden. If you're an undecided likely voter, you don't want to vote vote for Trump. People who are voting for Trump have made up their mind to vote for Trump. These undecided likely voters are looking for a reason to vote for Biden. And they're unsure of his ability to handle the job. So all this talk about what the president's going to do if it's a close election between his taxes and... And what's going to happen tonight, that will be the game set and match of this election. I believe it. And I don't, I don't think Joe Biden's going to fall on his face. Do I think he'll have a gaffe or two? Of course, it's Joe Biden. Joe Biden's been having gaffes since he was 29 years old. You think he's going to stop now? You don't think he's going to uh, you know, tell some story about Corn Pop or some other guy he knew when he was a, a lifeguard in Delaware? Of course he is. That's Uncle Joe, right? That's going to happen. I'm sure of it. But he's not going to look like he's got Alzheimer's or, or, you know, it's not going to happen. It's going to be a strong performance. And quite frankly, Donald Trump is not exactly a master debater himself. So I'm looking forward to Tuesday night and I'm looking forward to this, to this, you know, race getting blown wide open. And I know you are too, because you have been, uh, you know, you have been with me. A lot of you have been listening to me every week, and I truly, truly appreciate every ounce of support you've given me. This podcast has grown. It's doing well. Uh, We're going to stick around for a while, Um, and uh, it's going to be a rough election, but I think we're going to get through it, and I think we're going to be pretty happy on the other side of it. So, And by the way, and don't let that stay for a second that we won't have to fight both up to the election and after the election. Send lawyers, you know, I don't want to send guns, but send lawyers and money because there's going to be a fight here. And it's, uh, it, it, I, I fully expect this guy to be litigious, but you know, here's the thing. The difference about court and, um, you know, 
the bubble that Donald Trump lives in, which makes him think Biden needs to be drug tested, (laughs) is that in court, you got to bring facts. You got to bring facts to the court. You can't say there's voter fraud because somebody told you. You got to prove there was voter fraud. You can't say that the election should be invalidated because there were was mass corruption in the election. You got to prove it. And by the way, when you appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court, even if he has nine justices on there, they are judgment. They are they are in judgment of the law, not the facts. But I'm ready to go. I'm an attorney, and I think you all, anybody else out who's out there who's an attorney, needs to get ready to go. The DNC's got to do a pretty good job of letting people, better job of letting lawyers know where they can go to sign up to help. Because, uh, I mean, I could help all I want here locally in New York, but they're not going to need me in New York, I don't think. New York's vote's going to take a while to come in. Uh, Don't expect results of congressional races in New York on election night. Not going to happen. Okay, New York, going to take its time. Absentee ballots in New York, it's a process. And it's a real lengthy, court-heavy process. So, And they didn't fix it here in the state to adjust to COVID. So let's see what happens. All right, I think we've all had enough of me for one day. And I want to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there, and I know you will find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.